0: This episode is brought to you in part by Regent College, Vancouver, Canada. Experience God's call to a life more abundant with our one- to two-week summer courses. Sign up today at rgnt.net slash summer.
1: Fellas, I'm ready to get up and do my thing. Uh Uh I want to get into it, man, you know. Uh Like, you know I'm the man, don't you? Uh Can I count it off? Uh One, two, three, four listening to the church politics podcast with michael ware and justin gibbony where you can get in-depth political analysis from a christian worldview transcend partisanship and political ideology with us as we seek true discipleship in the public square I'm in the ways of slaves. I'm brave, I'm this
0: is the Church Politics podcast with Michael Ware and Justin Gibney, brought to you by the AM campaign. We're happy to be with you for another week. There's quite a bit to talk about. Uh, Justin, how are you doing? You have a good weekend.
1: I had a good weekend. Uh, it was just hard to keep up with all the stuff that was going on in the political arena this weekend. Did you survive all this news? It
0: it was it was a lot. You know, try and stay off the phone. Uh, As much as possible. But yeah, it it was it was a busy, busy weekend. And, you know, it's only going to heat up. We got the first, you know, last week we talked about the debate lineup. Well, the the debates are this week. So it's going to be interesting to see how those play out. But as you noted, electoral politics aside, it's been a very serious policy week on many fronts uh, uh, for the U.S.
1: Yeah, it has. So we're going to get into some of that right now. But this was uh, this was 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 huge and uh, so much stuff to talk about. We won't be able to get to all of it, but hopefully we'll touch on some very important uh, conversations.
0: Yeah, let's let's go to uh, this June 21st New York Times report on the state of detention centers uh, on the border obviously this was really striking uh, i'll am I'm, I'm just going to read from the first couple of paragraphs because it's it's worth it's worth reading uh, the story opens Uh, The headline, there is a stench, no soap and overcrowding in detention centers for migrant children. The story opens, a chaotic scene of sickness and filth is unfolding in an overcrowded border station in Clint, Texas, where hundreds of young people who have recently crossed the border are being held. According to lawyers who visited the facility this week, Some some of the children have been there for nearly a month. Children as young as seven and eight, many of them wearing clothes caked with snot and tears, are caring for infants they've just met, the lawyer said. Toddlers without diapers are relieving themselves in their pants. Teenage mothers are wearing clothes stained with breast milk. Most of the young detainees have not been able to shower or wash their clothes since they arrived at the facility. Those who visited said they have no access to toothbrushes, toothpaste, or soap. Justin, we've we've talked quite a bit uh, on the show about the state of the border crisis, the Trump administration's policies. You know, I think there are a lot of appropriate ways to respond. I think you know, grief and sadness is definitely part of the part of the mix. I think frustration and shame and anger are also appropriate. We also saw the video of the Trump administration lawyer. Sort of having to argue the administration's case, which is what lawyers do. I think that's an important thing to important thing to note. I've seen a lot of vilification of this of this lawyer. Um, when I think that can be a bit of a bit of a diversion from from what's really going on. Uh, the Trump administration has responded to critiques of the detention centers by pointing out that Congress delayed on approving uh, the four billion plus in funding to. Uh, help deal with the border crisis and fund the detention centers. They're they're right. Congress delayed on on this funding. So that's the, the Trump administration's response. We can't provide, we can't meet the need if Congress, which controls the purse strings, won't approve the funding. But obviously many people believe that this says more about the Trump administration's policy of detainment than than about Congress. Justin, uh, how should folks who care about the welfare of kids, children and also, of course, you know, adults uh, at, at the border who are in these in these detainment facilities?
1: You know, we sometimes can can overcomplicate fairly simple matters. And that's not to say this is this is insignificant. It's significant but it's still, still fairly simple. Um, there is no excuse whatsoever uh, for not providing all people, especially children, basic necessities like a toothbrush and soap at the border. There's no excuse for that. Um, that needs to be taken care of immediately. Republicans and Democrat legislators uh, need to put away the hyperbole on both sides and just get it done. If you got to say something nice about somebody who doesn't like you to get this done, then get it done. Uh, all the back and forth is, isn't helping anybody. Uh, so so the first thing I would say is that we should find this completely inexcusable. Uh, call your representatives. Let them know that this is unacceptable. Let them know whether you're in a Republican or Democrat district, that they should be held accountable for it because something needs to happen now. And we don't want to hear all these wolf tickets going back and forth. The, the other thing that I would say, so that, I mean, it's just a terrible circumstances down there, but we, we also have to re- recognize that the problem doesn't start at the border, right? If we really care about fixing this, the strategy must include Mexico, Central America. And we have to realize that we can't wait until the end of the journey to say, oh, we have to take care of it all there. It's just not going to happen that way, right? There's a lot of steps that that happen before these people get to uh, the border, right? Now, we've said the basic necessities need to be taken care of at the border. But when we're talking about incentives, when we're talking about what Central American co- uh, countries can do, what Mexico can do, all that needs to be put on the table because detention centers in general are not going to be five star hotels. They need to be doing more without a doubt. Um, but they've never been, you know, during any administration, have they been places where any of us would want our children to be, right? Uh, so I think we need to do more to pre- to prevent people from getting to that getting to that position because none of it's going to seem acceptable once you get into a detention center. That's just not where anybody wants to be. Uh, again, this is a product of not having comprehensive immigration reform because right now our position on on what we're going to do with these people is always in flux, which incentivizes more and more people to come, and our response is inconsistent. Right. So what we need probably more than anything is a clear, consistent rules when it comes to the border. Now, is this probably going to happen within the next uh, year or so? Probably not because of the elections, which is very sad, but it's probably not going to happen. So I, I would just end by saying this. The majority of the blame and responsibility is on the administration right now. Uh, and uh, although they do need that funding, there are ways to make sure that you get the bare necessities to children in these to get soap. You know, this is this country is is a blessed country. You can get soap and yeah. toothpaste to these people without That's passing right. legislation. Right. I mean, you've done a lot. You you did. You you uh you started building the wall without that. Right. You did a lot of other things without uh, legislation. You can get that done without legislation. So the majority of the blame goes there. Um, and it goes on the administration and also Republicans who aren't standing up and who are being silent on this issue. I put the majority of the blame right there. But anyone who talks about open borders and abolishing ICE is also frustrating this conversation with uh, with a whole bunch of utopian uh, foolishness. Everybody needs to come to the table. If you need to talk nice about the other side to get them to do something or whatever you have to do, get it done, because that's what your job is. Your job isn't to go on social media and talk trash all day. Let's get something done. Yeah,
0: it it was I I would urge folks to read the story to get to get a sense of uh, of what is what is happening uh, uh, on the border. I was encouraged to see so many folks on social media. Reaching out to see how they could help, you know, like like if if Congress can't get soaked down there, if the administration can't get soaked down there, you know, we'll we'll get soaked down there. Like like this is a humanitarian crisis, uh, with different kind of leadership. You would see not just the wheels of of government moving more smoothly, but you would see you know calls to the American people. Uh, to 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 help to be to be generous um, and unfortunately, urging compassion for folks in central america uh, mexico those who have made it to our border is just not in the in the milieu of our current government all right folks we're going to take a quick break and when we get back we 're going to talk about uh, a weekend of some extreme abortion rhetoric on both sides of the issue. Um, We're also going to give you an update on Iran. This is the Church Politics Podcast. All right, we're back. This is the Church Politics Podcast. Uh, Justin, uh, we had been talking back and forth leading up to this weekend about this Planned Parenthood convening in South Carolina. They were able to convene, host an event uh, in a big week in South Carolina. So the South Carolina Democratic Party had a big convening. Congressman James Clyburn held his big fish fry, which is a, a huge Uh, event for Democratic uh, primary candidates to be introduced sort of by Clyburn, who's one of the the leading political figures in South Carolina, to the Democratic Party. You you know, we saw all these Democrats down in South Carolina. And then on Saturday, Planned Parenthood said, well, since they're all going to be here anyways, uh, what they might as well come and speak uh, to the questions that we have for the candidates, and you know, Justin, the event was pretty much you know what what we have come to expect, which is basically a repetition of Planned Parenthood talking points back to Planned Parenthood. I mean, there was there was very little, if any, sort of pushback or separation. There were questions and and calls for abortion on demand, and this is their language, abortion on demand at any time for any reason. and the candidates didn't even didn't even reference or or say, you know, I'm a little uncomfortable with with everything you've just laid out, but here's where we agree. no, there is there was no like here's where we disagree moment uh, in this forum. Uh, Senator Harris. Continue to bring up her call for using uh, DOJ pre-clearance policy to basically prevent states from acting uh, on on any pro-life abortion legislation. Uh, We saw uh, Senator Gillibrand continue with some of her rhetoric about what she deems to be acceptable uh, in public life and and the way that she'll use the power of the presidency. On this issue, Uh, most of the candidates spoke to the idea that they want to codify Roe and Casey, which which basically for folks who don't, what it means to codify Roe and Casey when when these candidates say it, they basically mean they want to pass federal legislation that would overrule and negate any uh, state restrictions on abortion, and so, you know, if you live or if there's a if there's a, you know, a moderate state or a red state, basically the federal government would say uh, y- your laws around abortion can't be any different from California or New York. Um, that is that is basically what it, what it means out of a row. And so just now I want to want to hear your thoughts on that. I have a lot I'm going to toss your way. We also <laughs> we also saw this this tweet on june twenty second from James White who's one of those like i don't know what he does uh I, he's one of those people I only came to know because of social media and he seems to always be saying provocative stuff and then acting like he's the reasonable one which you know is you know a, a routine for some folks but he he tweeted on june twenty second which is more likely to be the central cause for the fact that black women are three and a half times more likely to kill their unborn children? One, fundamentally rebellious sexual ethics, fatherlessness, and sexual license, or two, slavery from 160 years ago. We got a lot of people saying crazy stuff on both sides of this issue there was a lot of pushback on James White i'm looking at the ratio right now and there's there's definitely a ratio uh but but that kind of rhetoric is pretty pretty common uh in in some circles uh justin how should people respond faithful christians who are trying to be full of both conviction and compassion respond when the political debate around this issue which we've talked about for the last few episodes, but that's that's because it's it's in the news. P- people are talking about it w- when the rhetoric on, on both sides of this issue is so heated and so provocative and so careless at times.
1: Yeah, it's a good question, and and I'll be honest with you. You know, we talk about how to respond to these things all the time, and I struggled with whether to respond to James White or not. Um, he, as you mentioned, he's a reform evangelical theologian and apologist those who follow me know that I rarely, rarely, rarely go back and forth with people on Twitter uh, because I just don't think it's constructive. Um, and right now I'm processing whether I because I did respond to him. I decided to respond to him. And I'm, I'm still not sure if if it was as constructive as I wanted it to be. Um, and I don't base that on retweets or anything else. Uh, and that's just me being honest. At the time, I believed that another Christian needed to correct the flawed statement that he made, and I thought that correction needed to be public, and so that's why uh, I responded to him. Perhaps it, it wasn't or was the most constructive way to handle it, and I'm still processing that. So I, I don't know that there's always a a bright line rule, right? I think generally we say be compassionate, be thoughtful, and be convictional, uh, and, and I think I did all three of those things. Um, my response was this, just so you know, I said it, look, there's, so his comment basically made the assumption that if it wasn't slavery was so far so long ago that it couldn't have been slavery. That is the cause of all these abortions. So basically black women are fundamentally just sexually rebellious. Right. And so my thing was like, it, the assumption is that there's no injustices in between, uh, slavery and today. Right. So, so I said, so, so there's no injustice in slavery. It was my first question. I said, you know, you wouldn't survive a week in a poor black woman's shoes. And my point of saying that was based on how he oversimplified the issues, it was clear to me that he didn't take into consideration what some of these women are going through. Right. Because he made such it's a flippant comment that you haven't taken into consideration that a lot of these women go through a lot more than I go through daily. than Probably he goes through through daily being poor and and, and a woman of color is a hard, hard situation to be in. And I think when you do take that into consideration, you don't make comments that are so harsh like that. Uh, so that was the that was the first my my first issue with what he said. Now, based on his defense, White seemed to think that people are refuting the statistics or that they're disputing that father fatherlessness and abortion are problematic. But that's not what happened. What's happening, right? He he's kind of taking this. I'm I'm telling the truth, and you people just can't handle the truth, right? That's that's the position that he's taking. But what I think he doesn't realize is that when you criticize an entire group of people and you do it without compassion, then according to the Bible, as I understand it, you're not being truthful. That's not the truth, because it's more likely that you're jumping to conclusions, with, which he did, based on your own prejudices. And I don't think he even understand how his prejudice uh, kind of was, was visible through that tweet. When you're so eager to condemn others, you're likely to make hasty assumptions and not consider your own own faults and reach and reach a very harsh and untruthful conclusion. And that's exactly what happened there. Uh, his statement was ahistorical. It was gravely oversimplified, and quite plainly, it was racist. Right. The st- the statement is is ahistorical because number one, it implies or it impliedly undervalues the generational impact of slavery. Right. So he he plays slavery off like, oh, it's 160 years ago. You can't tell me that it still has an impact. Well, it does still have an impact. You have an institution that systematically ripped black families apart. Systematically. You have an institution where black women were systematically raped and mistreated for sport, all of which could still have an impact on fatherlessness in the black community, black economics uh, struggles, self-image, all these things. Yes, that impact could carry over. Uh, The statement also uh, discounts the myriad of other injustices that have happened since slavery. We can talk about Jim Crow and the physical and economic terrorism that came along with Jim Crow. We can talk about mass incarceration. We can talk about uh, health disparities, uh, including maternal mor- mortality rates in certain in certain states, all of which, you know, he doesn't mention. We can talk about education disparities. All of these things, all of these issues destabilize black women and destabilize black families, placing them in a situation where abortion might seem like a best option. Now, I, I'm pro-life. I believe that it's never a best option. But when you actually sympathize with people and you look into their situation, you can actually see how it might not, uh, based on the rhetoric that people get and how they're targeted, it might not seem like the worst option with everything else that you're going through. Okay. thirdly, Planned Parenthood has been targeting the black community for generations. And this is no this is no secret. This is not something that Margaret Sanger or or anybody hid. Right. Again, not taken into consideration, just drawing these very hasty conclusions, which are not truthful conclusions. Uh The racism in the statement is clear in the broad assumptions that he makes and in the way that he oversimplifies the issue to fit his argument by basically saying that slavery happened too long ago to account for these. Stati- uh, he's basically saying that slavery happened too long ago to account for these statistics. Therefore, an entire race of women is fundamentally sexually debased. His flawed logic assumes that black women are basically inferior because if he was in their, their position, he would have he would have uh, avoided this because he's not fundamentally sexually debased. Right now, a loving person, a person that would have come into this with a little compassion would say, hmm, maybe there's more to it than, than they're just inferior. They're just uh, uh, naturally debased. Right. Maybe I need to investigate more to see if there are other factors involved. Right. But you don't. But but when you lack grace and when you have a superiority complex, you are more likely to settle for a lazy, dumbed down and prejudiced answer. And that's what happened here. His lack of compassion led him to a lazy and false conclusion. And therefore, he didn't speak the truth like he believes he spoke the truth. Uh, I think we always talk about love and truth. If you don't have any love or compassion in the truth that you're telling, chances are it's not the truth. And and that's the point that I wanted to make. Now, this brings us in. This is a perfect segue into the conversation uh, that happened uh, in the Democratic primary in South Carolina at this uh, We Decide Forum, which was put on by Planned Parenthood. If we travel to this to this forum, what we see is black women here are clearly being targeted and treated as pawns to advance the abortion agenda. Plain and simple. Um Uh, Pushing abortion as the answer to the issues going on in the black community is insulting and evil is a lazy cop out that progressive elites have been getting away with for far too long because it deceptively hides an agenda that sees black bodies and the black population as problematic. It's basically saying that black people are poor. We're poorly educated. So abortion is probably the best option for you. If we just have less of you, then things will be better. Not that we need to fix the problems. Right. We'll get to fixing the problems later. Hopefully. I mean, we'll talk about it, blah, blah, blah. But for now, let's just make sure that you can get an abortion because these black bodies and this black population growth is problematic. Uh, and that's what I saw from that. And so it's it's unfortunate that these candidates, you know, we have a president that has a lack of integrity. But I'll also say when you have candidates that are regurgitating talking points from an interest group and that's their their campaign is regurgitating talking points on a very serious issue. To me, that is a lack of integrity. Uh, We've talked a lot about uh, Elizabeth Warren and how well she's been doing with policy. She did terribly in this in this conversation. She said everything that they wanted her to say. She was not thoughtful. She was not I could not tell that she was uh, primarily thinking about black women, although everybody was using them as a pawn to further their argument. And that needs to stop. Um, you know, we, we can't we don't even need to get into the fact that you're going so hard on this one issue as if American public is with you and the American public is not even with you. So you're not doing it out of in a spirit of uh, of democracy and being a representative. You're doing it because you're following behind an interest group that has a lot of money, that has a lot of influence, and you don't want to buck back. That's problematic. And and once again, the the party could pay for it. Yeah, Justin, I, I think those are those are all
0: important comments. We ought to ask a question when they say that abortion is about economic security. If that is a main plank in your uh, plans for uh, American families to have economic security and a future, <laughs> then, then that that leads some serious questions about your views on human dignity and human flourishing and, and what that looks like. So listen, uh, we're probably going to hear a lot more about this uh, in these debates, particularly uh, in the debate on june twenty seventh with uh with vice president biden he 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 lucked out a bit in not having some of his most aggressive critics on this issue uh on the stage with him but but there will be more than enough folks willing to um, to, to hit Biden, even though he he's flipped on many of the uh, critical questions that they're going to be a- a- attacking him on now. But it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. And if there is anyone, any candidate who's willing to push back, even on the rhetoric, even saying, you know, this is not how we bring the country together. You know, I'm not sure this is the way we should talk about this issue, even if their policies are all the same,
1: And I I would say this, too. uh, Something else we saw this weekend was Pete Buttigieg, who is the mayor of South Bend, show a complete show that he's completely inexperienced and and has a lot of work, has a lot to learn when it comes to dealing with uh, black activists Mm. Right. So we have these conversations in South Carolina. We care about black people so much that we have to push this abortion conversation forward. But then you get in front of black activists who are talking about a shooting that happened in your town and how there were several things you could have done to possibly prevent it that you didn't do. And now you want to get snarky with them. Right. So we care so much about the black community until we're confronted with real issues that they're talking about. And when they question us and don't back down and just don't just see us as these elite folks that we have to listen to and, and accept everything they say, now we get snarky and now we start talking about, well, I, I'm not, you know, I wasn't, I'm not asking for your vote, I'm not, all this other stuff instead of doing what we're supposed to do, um, and, and that's my problem, right? You you have this agenda that comes along with abortion you, you you're you're putting you're putting it on the backs of black people, but when it comes down to the issues that we're talking about. Now you don't have time. Now you're frustrated and all this other stuff. You haven't taken the time to get to know how how, how to even deal with that community. That's what's probab- problematic about what's going on. And it has to change uh, that. You know, Buddha just had a terrible week. Primarily because the things that matter, the issues that are really going down and where he's at and what he's responsible for, he hasn't been taken care of. And that came back to get him this yeah, week. I mean,
0: right. At some level you know, he's, even though, you know, he's quote unquote, just a mayor of, you know, mid-sized town, he's in some ways more accountable to events and circumstances than, you know, the candidates who are running, who are, you know, governors and senators. Like if something happens in South Bend, Like there's there's no one else to put up in front like like some of these governors, if something happens in a major city in their town, you know, they can shift blame. It it was really interesting to see, you know, so Pete mostly pulled away from the campaign trail, although he did steal away to South Carolina for one event this weekend, which brought him under more criticism. uh, I think rightly Uh, it, it was interesting to see him. You know, on the ground, and they have to after interact with people without sort of a, a political apparatus. You know, separating him from uh, from from those circumstances. Uh, Pete's definitely had a a difficult uh, week uh, politically, and of course, his political difficulties are not the headline of what's happening in South Bend. They had uh, they had a police officer shoot a man with a knife, his body camera was turned off. Uh, This comes after Pete Buttigieg fired uh, the black police chief that was there when he came into office, a move that uh, he wrote about in his book as something that he didn't think he handled correctly. And so all of this kind of builds up, not just for Pete's sort of political future, but in the city, in South Bend, there's just a lot of angst and disappointment and frustration with the fact that the South Bend police department, and in some ways, Pete Buttigieg hasn't, uh, haven't been able to get their act together and deliver on the commitments that they've made. Justin, Anything to add before we uh, move to our next break and, uh, and and to our final topic?
1: Yeah, this is what matters, right? Because we we can get, we can talk about all, we can have our talking points and we can be smooth and we can talk about all these theories and the books we read. How do you deal with people and real issues that are in front of you? How, you? how do you respond to people when you've done something wrong or you haven't done what you're supposed to do and people question you on it? How do you respond to them and how do you take care of that? When you can't do that, all this, you know, all this other stuff, this fluff and, you know, being polished is great. But how do you deal with real issues that people are going through that are your responsibility that, that are within your sphere of influence? A huge failure for that campaign. But it see it shows you that that campaigns are real. And when you really get down to it, you this process is important because you find out who people really are outside of the talking points, because even at one point, You know, they asked him a question. He tried to read the talking points. and They're like, dude, we don't want talking points. You made certain decisions. Tell us what you believe. And and it just got ugly. So we'll see if uh, if he can come back from that. But it, it raises a big question. Uh, within a community who where criminal justice is serious. And so if you're if on if on that small level of you've mishandled it in that way, you, you may struggle at a larger level. We'll see how people react. Yeah. to it. All right. We're going to take a break.
0: When we get back, we're going to discuss uh, all of the developments uh, with Iran. This is the church politics podcast. This is the Church Politics podcast. We're we're back, Justin. We've been asking folks to keep their eyes on the situation with Iran for months now. There has been speculation and and sort of folks reading not just the tea leaves but the America's posture towards Iran and speculating as to whether. Steps are being taken on both sides that that would lead to an escalation of tensions, and that is clearly what we've seen over the last seven to 10 days in particular. A few of the milestones in what has happened, Iran indicated that they would exceed the enrichment limits that were in the Iran deal. Right so just as a refresher Iran deal put in place by the Obama administration uh, and a global community China Europe and obviously Iran uh, agreed to a deal that would limit basically limit Iran's ability to have nuclear weapons and put limits on the way that they could enrich uranium and all of these other sort of technical ways to ensure that Iran could not get a nuclear weapon in exchange for a lifting of sanctions. Now, the Trump administration pulled out of the Iran deal unilaterally. Europe, China, Iran for a while all considered the deal to still be in effect even though US had pulled out, even though US is one of the major players when it comes to sanctions and when it comes to the whole apparatus. Iran announced recently that they would exceed the limits in the Iran deal. That obviously uh, was seen as an aggressive tactic, an aggressive move by the U.S. We had this incident where uh, Iran shot down a drone. America says that the drone was in international waters. Iran says it was in their territory. And then we saw uh, the New York Times report that Trump was considering an attack on Iran. The attack was ordered. uh, And just 10 minutes before it was carried out, According to President Trump, he pulled back the operation because he didn't think that uh, the cost of life, which would have been 150 people, according to Defense Department's uh, estimates, he didn't think that that was reciprocal. So it was really interesting to hear him use terminology like that when describing why he pulled back the mission. So we're at this very interesting, tenuous place right now, Justin. President Trump has been of calling for talks. He's been indicating that he is not as anxious as some who work for him. And a lot of people thought he seemed to be to get into a military conflict with Iran. But but the tensions are, are real. Uh, they're bubbling up. Uh, some folks would argue, and frankly, I'd be one of them, that this is the kind of situation that the Iran deal was meant to avoid. And the fact that we're in this situation now is not a coincidence uh, that Iran responding the way it has. You know, there's a lot of talk about whether Iran's a rational actor or not. The way that Iran's acted over the last several months in general has been. Has been quite rational. The, the The real question is whether whether pulling out of the Iran deal was a rational act or a political move. But Justin, how do you feel with this president at the helm uh, in in you know like a Cuban Missile Crisis kind of kind of situation in a situation where you have two significant powers especially given Iran's you know place in the in the global community and especially in the Middle East you know h- how do you feel about uh, the Trump administration's ability to handle something like this
1: I'm, I'm concerned um, as, as you as you mentioned this is a ve- very delicate issue and with the leadership quote unquote of um, President Trump, and also his national security advisor John Bolton it doesn't make me feel too great about what's going on um iran is serious because I, these sanctions have really hurt iran's oil export exports uh as i understand it they were exporting at some point up to 15 million barrels a week and now they're down to 4 mil- million barrels a week uh so they're not playing around now i wasn't a huge fan of the iran deal i you know i, I thought that i wouldn't say it was toothless but it wasn't great However, I wasn't a supporter of pulling out of it once you made right. the agreement, right? right, right. The, 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 you know, we're we're one country. Once that administration made that agreement, I I don't advise that we pull out of it without any larger plan. And it's hard to see that we have a larger plan that we're willing to stick to. You 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 say that you're you know there's about to be a military strike. Trump pulls out. You know uh, that just shows me that <laughs> the plan is not uh as solid as it, it should be, especially for a situation that's this serious. And so that's what worries me the most is it seems like Trump is just day by day deciding what he might do instead of having a greater strategy when they pulled out of that agreement. Uh, now, what Iran also knows is that the election 2020 may p- play a role in how we deal with this. And Trump pulling out of that airstrike may have something to do with that as well. Right. Uh, as you mentioned, starting a war, you know, right before 2020 or, or even a serious conflict before the 2020 elections probably wouldn't be a good thing for Trump. Uh, since Democrats would likely blame it on his decision to pull out of the Iran agreement, right? So you pull out of something and then you have this big conflict that it seems could have been avoided. That probably isn't a situation he wants to be in. And so now he's half playing politics, half, you know, half looking after the security. And that's just not where we want to be uh right now when you have you know iran i mean we we have to deal with this in a way that thinks about our allies thinks about what's going on in the middle east and to be honest when it comes to the middle east our solutions just haven't been working very well right uh so where are we gonna go what's the next move i'm not again i'm just not convinced that they know or or I don't I'm not convinced that they know what they're going to do next week in that regard. And it needs to be a long term plan. And this could get ugly very quickly.
0: Yeah. And I, I mean, you know, I left out the fact that, you know, these uh, tankers were attacked. Uh, so it's it's just been uh, and uh, the U.S. Cyber Command uh, just on Thursday conducted uh, cyber attacks, online attacks against. Uh, Iranian uh, Iranian uh, intelligence, uh, so, so it's it, it's 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 a hot spot right now. Uh, I, I agree with you, Justin. I'm not, you know, I think clearly what they're trying to do is is rebuild up the pressure on Iran, uh, hurt them so uh, so significantly economically that, that Trump thinks he could get better terms than what the Obama administration got. Uh, as part of the Iran deal that was negotiated uh, during the Obama administration. I would just be wary of, yes, maybe you're able to put on so much pressure that Iran is willing to significantly hamper its interests uh, in all kinds of ways because You've left them no other option, but th- there's such a thing as putting on too much pressure. There's such a thing as leading folks to feel like they have no other resort but to push back against, against power plays. <laughs> like you said, Justin, I don't trust this administration to navigate this in, in a healthy way, particularly since there's been so much turnover uh, in their national security apparatus. The fact that we uh, have an- uh, acting, uh, defense secretary who I believe just, just announced he, he would not be continuing on. Uh, we've had turnover at State Department. So it's, it's just not the healthiest environment to be engaging in a new conflict on. So we're going to ask you to uh, continue to stay up to date on the situation. We're going to keep you up to date. Uh, but, but do keep your eyes on how this is developing. And, and there really is a need for a, a, a Christian voice. Uh, part, you know, particularly uh, to the extent that there's a, a a march to conflict in the minds of
1: uh, of some folks. Yeah, I agree. Um, this is something to be prayed about because there are a lot of lives at stake here. This isn't this isn't the game, and I hope we treat it uh, that way.
0: All right, folks. Well, that is all we have to cover in this episode. Uh, When we come back next week, we'll talk about the first round of debates and we'll see how these various situations that we've discussed today develop. I have a flag uh, for folks, which is that the Ant Campaign released uh, the first four episodes of the Faith 2020 podcast. Now, Yeah, I'm excited about it. This is a podcast that's focused on 2020 and helping folks see 2020 through the lens of faith. An interview-based podcast. Would urge you to check it out. It's available all the same places that the Church Politics Podcast is at, including Crux and Call and iTunes and Spotify. We have Senator Chris Coons, who will be on as our guest this week in the first sort of Current day, uh, twenty twenty focus episode, and so would urge folks to check that out. Uh, Justin, I-, I know that you have something you want to flag for folks uh, that's happening at the end of this week, and I- I'll-, I'll let you tee that up.
1: Yeah, man, we, uh, you know, CJ wrote Doctor CJ Rhodes, who is a uh, Mississippi native, uh, and he is a part of the and Campaign's executive committee. Came up with this idea called the Hamer Democrats in honor of the civil rights legend, Fannie Lou Hamer. And the idea is that, uh, you know, the end campaign talks a lot about how Christians have to find their identity outside of their party and outside of their political tribe, because if we don't, then we're kind of left uh, to, to be guided by some of the hidden agendas and, and and just bad judgments that come out of parties and, and that come out of ideological tribes instead of being guided by our faith. And so the Hamer Democrat idea is to give uh, folks on the Democratic side of the conversation. This is not a new party. It's just a concept and kind of like a group coming together. But to give folks who are on the Democratic side of things an opportunity to separate themselves as far as identity and say, hey, I may be in this party, but as a Christian, I don't always agree with agree with what the party does. We urge Republicans to do the same thing. The Republicans in uh, the campaign are are working on uh, on on something similar. But what we're going to do on. Friday of this week, which I'm sorry, Saturday of this week, which is June 29th, is we're going to have a launch of the concept just to let people know that there's a different way to do politics. And so I'm excited about that. We're going to be in Jackson. A bunch of the team is coming together. Chris Butler will be out there. Uh, Cecily Smith, a whole bunch of folks, uh, Corey Porter. I know you'll be there, Michael. We're really excited about it and uh, it should be fun. So we'll keep you posted. Yeah, Jackson, Mississippi, if you can
0: make it out, would love to see you this Saturday uh, and, and all the details are available at HamerDemocrats.com. All right, folks, this is the Church Politics Podcast. Always glad to be with you. Leave a review on iTunes if you can. It'll help us get the word out. And until next week, uh, we'll see you. Have a blessed one. Take care.
1: This is Tell me,
0: I'm
1: the ways of runaway slaves. I'm brave. I'm unchained. with a
0: This episode was brought to you in part by the Areopagus Podcast. Two clergy of different traditions, Father Andrew Stephen Damick and Michael Landsman, discuss encounters of historic Christianity with other religious traditions. How do we engage with those who believe differently? Listen wherever you get your podcasts.